The lectionary this week brings us now on the third Sunday of Advent back to the Gospel of Luke as we will move with Luke throughout the year ahead and in doing so get a capture, capture a sense of the, the sweep of Luke's narrative which continues into the second volume of his work, the book of Acts. And because he wrote a second book, the book of Acts, you can catch within um, Luke uh, a, a suggestion of how the story will continue uh, in the lives of the apostles following uh, Jesus' departure from them. But in this narrative, we're back at the River Jordan. Last week, you may remember, John the Baptist has gone out into the Judean desert, and he's sort of a wild, crazy figure, and people are coming out to him, and he's ta asking them, commanding them to repent, uh, which means to change their minds. Repentance means to change your mind, change your direction, recalibrate your life, reorient yourself, look at your priorities, get them straight, figure it out, and then settle into a different way of orienting yourselves. And so these people are coming out to what John and today's passage um, continues his preaching about what that repentance might mean, what it would look like. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Now, I don't know what they teach you at Yale, but at the Boston University School of Theology, they taught us this was not a good opening line for a time of worship. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, okay, vipers, monkeys, oh, you know, okay, okay, yeah, it's, oh, yeah, yeah, so anyway, okay, everybody go home now, okay, that's it. Actually, when, a <laughs> hundred years ago, when I was working with the high school kids, I used to call them maggots. But I said, it's okay, because when you grow up, you'll be houseflies like me. It was a term of endearment. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance, changing your mind. Do not begin to say to yourselves, oh, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from the stones at my feet to raise up children of Abraham, even now. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and to be thrown into the fire. So the crowds asked, well then, what should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even the tax collectors were coming out to be baptized by John. And they asked, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers, Romans, also came and asked, well, what should we do? And he said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. Be satisfied with your wages. So what he has said to them is very simple, but not easy. If you have two Coats, give one to somebody who has none. Now Jesus and his contemporaries 
day laborers, the amheretzim in Hebrew, the dispossessed, the poorest of the poor, people who literally lived on the edges of society, on the edges of extinction. If they didn't work, no food. And so they owned two articles of clothing, an outer coat and an inner cloak. So to say if you have two, both the inner coat and the outer cloak, give one to someone who has none. That is to say is rendered living literally in rags. So on my way over this morning, I paused at the coat closet in our back hall, and I counted six coats that I have. Who needs six coats? One for when it's 40 degrees, another one for when it's 20 degrees, another one for when it's raining, another one for when it's misting, another one for when it's really cold, a spring jacket, a fall jacket, I mean it goes on and on. Six jackets? I got to do something about that. Six coats, you know? So it's easy, it's simple rather, but not necessarily easy to do. So the tax collectors, the way that worked in the Roman Empire was the Romans would say, well, here's your town. You need to collect this many denarii, and from each house you should collect 10 denarii. And so the tax collector would come to you and say, the assessment on you is 20 denarii. And so you take the 20, keep 10, and give 10 to the Romans. John says, no, stop doing that. Take what you rode, no more. The soldiers, they had swords. Nobody else was armed. And so they would extort money by either threatening to hurt them or that they would denounce them to the centurion, and they'd come in for punishment. So they're extorting money for people. He says, be satisfied with your wages. Notice that Gentiles, Romans, are coming to Peter, I mean to, to, to uh, John. So what shall we do? He goes on a little further. As the people were filled with expectation, all were concerning questioning in their hearts about John, wondering, he might be the Messiah. John answered, no, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals, the one who is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary and the chaff to be burned in the unquenchable fire cast off into the winds of the world. Amen. So this threshing floor, you plant the wheat, you tend the fields, you harvest the grain, you bring it into the threshing floor and you throw it up and you beat it and you knock off the chaff and is revealed then the kernel within. The husk is laid away and is lost, and the good part of the wheat, the nutritious part of the wheat, goes into the granary for sustenance in the year ahead. So often when we hear this example, we think that the world is divided into wheat and chaff. Some people are chaff. <laughs> Bad news for them. And some people are wheat. Good news for them. No. The wheat 
the chaff, the kernel, the chaff, they're all part of the same thing. Each of us is made up of the kernel and the chaff. The purpose of the threshing floor is to separate the part which is holding us down, holding us back, constricting and constraining and, and contorting our true being from its real essence, which is to be a blessing of God, a fruit of God's bountiful creation. So it's not that some of us are bad and some of us are good. All of us have things that we need to shed from our lives so that we can truly live as our, in our identity as the children of God. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was right when he said there is a line between good and evil, but the line does not run between two groups. The line runs through every human heart. To examine in our own self, our own soul, that which is of God and that which is contrary, counter to, opposed to, upending the purposes of God. And to let that be cast away so we can live into our full, our truest identity as the children of God. That's what we're doing in Advent, is we're letting the chaff fall away and allowing the best of ourselves emerge into the light of God's love. We're readying our spirits. We're opening our hearts. So what shall we do, the people ask? The practical expressions of help, toys for children, food for the hungry, shelter for those who are without decent, affordable homes? Yes, but also what shall we do? The examination of our humble human souls so that they may indeed uh, be fit habitation for the presence of God, for the birth of the divine within each one of us. This is the meaning of the incarnation. The incarnation is not just about Jesus. The incarnation changes all of human experience. My experience, your experience, my identity, your identity. Not just those who call themselves Christians, as to say little Christs, but all the world. All of the world is changed by God's decision to be with us in the reality of our human condition. And when we live into that and we allow the chaff to fall away, we find the fruits of those spirits. So from Paul's letter to the Philippians from which we read last week, and as I noted, really is a, a love letter, deep affection and admiration that exists between the apostle and the congregation that he had founded. In the fourth chapter of the letter he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say, rejoice. The pink candle, the joy that shines out of the reality of our human life, the joy that wells up from deep within, not because everything is right, because so much is not right, but the joy that wells up because of the God who resides with us and for us and in us. 
in us. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be known to everyone, for the Lord is near. You hear this over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. Reach out, touch it. Be touched and grabbed by that kingdom, that reign of justice and of peace. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes human understanding, will guide your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things and remain doing the things which you have learned and received and heard from me and those who preach the gospel and the God of peace will be with you. What should we do? To think on these things, the good, the true, the beautiful, the blessed, not to live like ostriches with our head in the sand, not to deny the realities of the troubles of the world, but to turn, most importantly, consistently, passionately, persistently, to the light, to what is good, what is true, what is beautiful, to live in the joy which is God's presence. Amen.